This is Coda Radio, episode 136 for January 12, 2015. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host who is most definitely established on the East Coast. It's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. That's your cue. And muted. 2015 is the year of the mute button. That's man. two episodes in a row. A if, row if, uh, if people ever believe that we didn't do it live, they believe it now for two, oh two weeks in a row. Oh, my God. I keep doing that. <laughs> That's all right. I got the year wrong at the beginning of the episode, which I fixed. So we're one for one now. So we're even. Uh, we're very even. You know what we got to do? And I'm serious. And this would solve the mute problem, I know, for at least one episode, guaranteed. Is we got we to gotta get it so that way your schedule is not so busy that you can make it out here at the end of April for Linux Fest. We should do it. Uh, I'm, I'm even. I'm even twisting the uh, the ops people. If you, I think you might know who that is. People back at the main office, you know, the JBHQ is what we right, call it. Right. I'm right. even. I'm even trying to make uh, flights accommodatable and things like that. Trying to make it all work for everybody. I think we're. I want to do a big shindig, and we should totally do an episode in studio if you come out. Well, you know what? That sounds like a tax deduction to me. I think so too. <laughs> Yeah. Plus, it's a great opportunity to market fingertip tech to uh, a bunch of back-end uh, Linux enthusiasts and specialists who might uh, provide valuable insights for technologies that you could deploy for fingertip tech customers throughout 2015. Right. And then I could drive to Redmond and talk to people who actually pay for software. Oh, oh my God. I... Ouch. It hurts because it's somewhat kind of true. All right. But it's true. You could actually go down to Redmond and uh, talk to people who pay for software. Just knock on the door. Sir, sir, can I have some money, sir? You know, uh, if you didn't know... Uh, the month of January, I'm not going to say when, I'm not going to get specific, but the month of January contains my birthday, I- inside it. And, you know, as often is, I think, probably natural, as you reach points in your life, you start reflecting on things, and you start thinking to yourself, am I too old of a dog to learn a new trick? Or yes. could I pick up a new trick? And what nope. would that new trick be? And what would I use it for? So, of course, I'm talking about, is Chris getting too old to finally learn development? You know, really get a grasp on it and start in something to build something that solves a few problems, patches a few things together. And what Patch would I start up. with? So I, it's a little uh, self-indulgent, but like I said, January is the month of the birthday. So I'm going to give myself a present today. I'm going to talk about what's sort of been my barrier to entering the development world. Because I think you developers out there like Mr. Dominic don't realize sort of the message you're sending to people that are sort of not – don't intend to be hardcore developers but just want to become casually familiar with development and appreciate the concepts and, and uh, all of these kinds of things. And there's a, there's a massive off-putting message that I want to talk about there too. And then also I'm looking at two languages in, in particular and I wonder if one of them is going to be a bit controversial. But I, I think like if you're just going in for the first time – these might not be bad ones, but I wonder if they're too hard. So we're going to talk about all of that, too. But before that, we got some emails. And uh, yesterday, or, you know, it feels like yesterday, because the time without you doesn't exist, Mr. Dominic. So when you're not I near me... I feel the same way. Yeah. I, it, it, yeah. It's like some sort of, like, horrible coma. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, last week we talked about uh, some of the uh, Mac folks that are uh, making a stink about the quality of Apple's software, the reaction to that, and uh, we got some emails to that effect. We're experimenting with a shorter email segment this week, so we're just going to do one email. And so we picked from that batch. But thank you, everybody, who wrote in on the immigration topics, that wrote in on the intern topics. It was great to also get some perspective from people that are a little bit older and younger, so I really appreciate it. So we are taking all of that in. It helps us make a better show. But just to kind of keep the feedback snappy this week, we're just going to focus on one. And uh, listener Chris wrote in, hey, not me, uh, and he wrote a long one. So it's okay. He says, hi, Chris and Mike. Uh, firstly, I want to just say that I love your show, and I've been an avid listener and all the other JB content for under a year. Hey, that's great. That's great to have somebody kind of new. I enjoyed listening to your discussion on the exodus from Mac OS X, and it struck a chord, not least because I finally left the Apple Fold after 10 years in favor of Linux. Hmm. Hmm. Are you listening to this, Mr. Dominic? He's left. Oh, hmm. Uh, a little background. I'm a technical writer and a web developer. I write ASCII doc and Markdown, so all I need is an appropriately aware text editor and CLI utilities. All my web development activities are done in Sublime Text, and the CLI work is done with an occasional bit of graphical work in GIMP. I've only dabbled in developing compiled programs. In truth, I prefer cobbling together workflows and shell scripts. So to GSD, what is GSD? GSD, to get stuff done, I guess, probably. Yeah, I'm probably not nearly hip enough. Uh, I need an OS that performs well and is stable and doesn't pressure me to upgrade perfectly good hardware every year. Mm, I'm sorry. I, just, I don't know how that bell got in here. Uh, I can only speak from my own experiences and needs, but it's suffice to say that Apple has a, as a company and OS 10 as a platform no longer meets these needs. Snow Leopard was the last great release of OS X, but with every release since Apple has introduced more bloat, more bugs, and more artificial limitations. But I keep kidding myself that another Snow Leopard was just around the corner. Yosemite was the last straw. By contrast, my experience with Linux has been a joy. It feels like I've escaped an aluminum goal. Aluminum jail to you guys, he says. And I can't finally, and I can, oh, he says, and I can finally can control my hardware and what I choose to run on it. Where Apple says, no, you can't, or buy the new shiny iMac, the Linux community says, yes, yes, you can, and we'll help you do it. As a web developer, it's refreshing that I'm essentially using some of the OS locally as what I deploy on DigitalOcean. Everything is in the same place, the same file system, adding the same Apache mods, PHP extensions, RubyGems, and Python modules. It's just much easier under Linux thanks to the package manager. It's so tedious on OS X, and often updates break the underlying package manager you might be using, that I gave up. And yes, I know about Homebrew, and no, it's not anywhere as good as apt or Pac-Man. I could go on. I left OS X because it is no longer meeting my needs, but what has shocked me to the core is that I found that overall Linux experience is superior, and I'm not going back. Anyways, thanks again for the great shows. Keep up the great work. Cheers, Chris. Exactly what I thought people would be saying. Because when you look at what he needs, and here at, here's what it fundamentally comes down to. Uh, you don't want to be screwed with. You just want to do your work. Mm-hmm. And that's why you bought the Mac to begin with. You bought the Mac because it was good hardware and a reliable operating system. The issue is the marketing pressure of making OS X a yearly release. And I, I've thought about this. And here's what I've come to the conclusion of. This is never going to change. This is going to get worse. Because what Apple has against Android, against all of the really cool Android phones, is Apple has the ability to work across the entire stack. iPhone and Mac, 
So they and the iPad, right? And so they have this whole ability to do things like handoff before any of the other Android manufacturers have gotten that down right, right? They're using the hell out of Bluetooth low energy way better than any Android manufacturer is using the hell out of it because Apple knows they've got all this code in both the Mac OS and operating system to match the hardware in both devices. The thing is, is while this is kind of neat, this is actually marketing pressure that is driving the direction of the operating system so that way Apple can continue to ship things that only Apple can. And if you don't think that's true, go count how many times Tim Cook has said only Apple can in the last year. He said it in every single keynote. They're emphasizing that what they're doing is working on all platforms at the same time on a yearly release cycle. Think of your operating system as a firmware, and only Apple could push updates that go across your phone, your tablet, and your desktop or laptop all at the same time. Only Apple can. And the thing is, is that message, that vision for them is such a big part of Apple that that, is, that ends up leading the desktop operating system that is too complex to be revved with too many different iterations of hardware over the years out there, with too many different complex types of workflows. It just doesn't work for that kind of operating system. So the end result is it gets led around by the nose to f- meet these new fancy features, and you, what you end up getting is you feel like a 10.1, 10.2 release Every single release. Because the truth is, OS X doesn't start to get better until about a year after its release. That's why I just upgraded the most uh, uh, critical production machine that runs macOS here to Mavericks over the holiday break. Mavericks. 10.9, not Yosemite. No way. I will not even consider Yosemite for a year because the truth be told, when you really slam these Macs, and I'm talking full out 100% CPU usage, 24 hours a day, disk I.O. constantly going, routing sound through all the different QuickTime backends, using all the GPU features to accelerate stuff. I mean, when you really push a Mac, Yosemite falls apart. And, it, and Mavericks wasn't very good until about a couple of months ago. And the issue is, Apple needs about two years to make an operating system system pretty good. And they had that for a little while. If you go back to like the 10.5 and 10.6, it's sometimes two, three years between releases. Now they're yearly, the teams are smaller, and they're more spread out. Back then when they had slower releases, they weren't even developing iOS, and they still were taking more time. And there's just no way that people who are technically savvy, that don't feel like being led around by the nose, who just want to develop websites, write things in ASCII doc and markdown, it just it doesn't make any sense to go with that kind of platform because that's that platform is not addressing your needs; it's addressing the company's needs. That's well, my idea. I, okay, so so okay, crazy train. <laughs> woo, woo. How, how much worse is worse, right? The question I would ask you is, is your OS X machine going to be more or less of a maintenance hassle than, I mean, let's start with some low-hanging fruit, right? A Windows 7 box. I would go OS X first, just because I don't like the UI of Windows at all. I don't like the underlying technology. Forget about the UI. If you're doing web development or (sighs) non-Microsoft development, Bash alone is worth its weight in gold, yeah, right? Yeah. And not having to install Sigwin, which yes, it works. But, yeah, having uh, having that command line, that true genuine command line where SSH is just a built-in right. tool. You know, you can start up your own SSH server if you need. It's yeah, that's you can't beat it when you're doing this kind of work. Now, I'll definitely give uh, give the writer. Yeah, Homebrew is a is a poor, poor, poor imitation of AppGet. Um, not that it's bad; it's just that AppGet is so much better. And right, and but nothing goes beyond. I mean, and then when you t- when you go to Pac-Man and like you hear of a package and you just type its name and you have it installed, it's it's so it's so freeing because like that whole process of going hunting down software, all of it's just it's gone. But I would I would challenge the premise that there are a lot of developers. I would say there are some developers. But certainly not a huge outflux 
of uh, developers right, working yeah, yeah, on yeah, Mac yeah. machines oh, no, 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 no. that are going to go to Linux. No. I would say if anyone's going to get anything out of this, it's going to be you know Windows 10, right? Um, yes, yes, I totally agree. However, you kind of have the same problem there. And this is kind of – okay, here's another thing, and this is could – I think people are getting older too. Some of the people – okay, all right, let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. So when, when the OS X releases were really good, like I think a lot of people switched from Ubuntu – to OS 10. I think Ubuntu when they when they when they launched Unity. I think it didn't ha- it's not like a switch. It's like just like the like switching back isn't just like overnight. Like over a period of a few years, Ubuntu users became more and more disfranchised, disenfranchised and bought a Mac. And they happened to buy a Mac at a pretty good time in the operating system's reliability track record. And actually, if you go back over the Mac OS 10 track record, like Mac OS 10 has and, and Mac OS and 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 system 6 and system 7 have never been the pinnacles of stability ever so that's never been like the most selling point of OS 10 and OS in the Mac in general until later in the Mac OS 10 lifetime then all of a sudden it started oh it's got that BSD underpinnings and you started seeing people switch over from Linux i think specifically ubuntu i think they burned a lot of people with the unity switch because it was real shit for for the beginning uh, and it took them you know until about unity 7 honestly to get it where i really like it I thought it was starting to get good at Unity 6, really. But at Unity 7, really, it's gotten quite good. But I think it was too little too late. Now, I think those people are reaching a point in their usage cycle five, six years in where they're starting to look around now and they're going, you know, one of the things that I liked was that it was just my platform for doing my work and it was just my priorities. And you cannot, you cannot really fully realize it until you're sitting there and you're up against something that's very frustrating, that's slowing you down. And the only reason it's happening is because the vendor wants the shiny. And you, it just, it's one of those things that it just chews at you and chews at you, at least for me, uh, where I eventually, I, I, eventually I, I can't take it anymore. I, it, it's a first world problem for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think, you know, my day-to-day use of the Mac because I, you know, I'm using my uh, Ubuntu box at home, but the reality is a large percentage of my work has to be done on, on Mac, right? It's yeah, I think, too, part of what it is is the OS X UI and interface is just starting to feel less efficient than other desktop environments like GNOME 3 for me, where it's just, like, they are not really doing a lot to improve it. Uh, they've they've added a few features. They've changed the way dual monitors work. It's better in Yosemite. Uh, and the UI looks a lot more like GNOME, especially if you turn on the dark mode. So, again, that's neat. But the the overall system and workflow that I find, it, it's it needs to be pushed forward, but I don't think they have a direction to go with it other than make it more like iOS, which obviously won't work. So I think there's a bit of that going on, too. Like, it's just not been enough improvements. Like, if you look at Windows 8 as a catastrophe, and Microsoft, you know, was really trying to push the envelope there, and you see what happens. So, obviously, Apple can't go that direction. But you look at what Windows 10 is doing, you know, they're, uh, like, for example, their virtual desktop implementation looks like it's way better than Apple's virtual desktop implementation. Way better, right? And, and to right. be honest, for, uh, f- as far as launchers go, like, if you don't look at it as a start menu and just look at, it, look at it as a desktop launcher, that new start menu might be neat. I'm willing to say it could be kind of a neat thing. These are actual interesting innovations. Eh, innovation's a little strong, but interesting progressions of a classical UI that Microsoft has done with Windows 10. That what, when, what, what happened with Yosemite was they relacquered the UI, they added some transparency that doesn't actually work great all the time, and doesn't always totally make sense either, what it's actually showing through and what it isn't. Uh, and, and in my opinion, uh, it just shows that for those of us who watch this kind of stuff, it's 
not a long-term platform for them. Now, I'm not again. I'm not. I'll we'll leave it at this. I'm not saying it's everybody. I just think it's very interesting. And you know, Marco Armit came out and he sort of regretted his post. He said that he wished he hadn't said like Apple's quality was in a tailspin and things like that. Um, but it's nothing that other people haven't been saying for a long time. I mean, there there are legitimate things wrong with OS X, right? And but but they have less to do with transparencies, which I don't particularly like. Yeah. Um, and more to do with. You know, HFS Plus is starting to be a problem. Right? I've lost episodes to it. Yeah, for right. sure. But the problem is that, you know, you, you can't put ZFS or, or, you know, if you're Alan, ZFS on the box, right? Like that's, I don't even know, marketing speak, more reliable op, more reliable file system. Yeah, you'd have to have a way file that file system's unreliable, right? Yeah, so, you'd have to have a way that abstracted a lot of the complication out from the end user and really and, streamlined and it and made it fast. Like there is a weird issue on some Mac machines with Wi-Fi and getting IP conflicts constantly. Um, at least we're having it here between uh, 5.0 hertz networks. I really wish that they would fix that, but it's not a huge priority because all you have to do is disconnect and reconnect yeah. and you usually source you right out. One handy, uh, one handy thing that's been broken for us is, uh, and if either end is running Yosemite, doesn't matter which one, uh, remote desktop, which is actually one of the better VNC implementations I've ever seen on, a, on a, any platform. It's yeah. very fast. You can actually yeah. you almost watch real-time video in it. It's so fast. Uh, but now... Uh, both systems become totally unusable. Uh, you cannot use the remote session, and the system that you were remoting from, so the client side, totally becomes unusable. The remote desktop program becomes unusable. You can't close it. You have to try to quit it, and then it eventually bombs out. And meanwhile, the system you're connected to, the mouse goes totally crazy. Uh, it's unusable. In Mavericks, no problem. Well, I mean... So one thing is, right, for what you're doing and what I'm doing, other than, you know, occasionally having to update Mac software, I don't know that updating being on the current OS release makes a whole lot of sense, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's probably a lot of our problem. Is well, that the thing is, though, you want the current tools. You want, like, so, like, there's a right. point where, like, say you're running Brew, right? There's a point where it's more optimal to be running Brew on Yosemite than Mavericks. Like, there will be a transition point where the package makers and all of the end users that are doing the testing, the majority of them are on Yosemite, which happens very fast in the Apple ecosystem. Yeah. I think it's already at, like, 70% adoption now or something like that, or 40% adoption or something like that. It's, it's pretty good for a desktop OS. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm running it now. Like right now, I'm so so you almost in a way the Mac system sort of drags you into the next version. Another example, um, Wirecast. One of the reasons I finally went to Mavericks is they just started coding, you know, for later versions and said, "Well, ten point eight, that's too old. We're not even going to bother with that." And uh, so when I started getting crashes, they're like, "Yep, yeah, sorry, you got to go to Mavericks." Well, I don't have any other need to go to Mavericks. I don't. I'm not. It's not even like you know, like I don't even need the anything that it brings. But there you go. And I know it's not. And we should probably move on. But it, it, to me, for people who are using these as tools, the rolling release system is kind of genius because it actually turns out that it's much, for me at least, and I've got to tell you, I'm doing this like on five or, oh, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, I now maintain eight arch boxes, right? And I right. try to update them, I, it ranges. Some of them I update almost every single day. Some of them I update once a month. Some of them about three to six months at this point. And what you end up doing is it's small incremental changes at a time that are manageable because 
the updates don't happen magically by a by an update fairy. I execute the update when I say, okay, you know what? I got 10 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and do an update now. It pulls down all the updates. Nine, maybe eight out of 10 times, I don't have to do a single thing. I just got new stuff. Maybe a couple of times out of that, and you got to, you know, and this is across all of the boxes, and usually it's something that happens on one box, it'll probably happen on the other ones, and by the time I've learned how to fix it on one, it's just boom, boom, boom on the next ones. And it's like maybe like I got to replace the GPG key ring or something like that, something stupid. Uh, and, right, but right. these small incremental changes at a time are, turns out, much more manageable. And I'm telling you this as somebody who is running these systems in about as production of an environment you can get. I literally have to go on air at a certain time. I do shows and they go out like every single day, multiple times a day. And I'm running systems that are always rolling, constantly updating. And those systems are the least problematic because the other systems where you wait a really long time between updates, all that time is where variables happen for things that break or things that when you update won't work. Like that, the longer the time that is, the greater the risk that update becomes, the bigger the gamble that update is because there's so much more that could possibly break. With the small incremental, some days it's two packages, some days it's ten packages, but it's just little stuff. And to me, the... What I've been told as somebody who is in enterprise IT for a very long time is you go enterprise release, something that has, you know, 10 years support, it would be, oh, that's about adequate. 10 years support is about adequate. So, you know, you go buy the big boy Red Hat license every time. Got to get the big boy Red Hat license because we're not going to change this shit once we get it installed ever. And that mentality sort of was slammed into my brain over and over again. And now I find myself when I'm running my own show and I'm like, oh, look at this. This actually works even better, and I get access to the latest tools, and then I can make my workflow even better when I get those new tools. So an OS X, unfortunately, the, even though they're doing a fairly progressively fast update for a desktop operating system yearly from the commercial guys, it's no, it's no rolling release, but for a desktop operating system from a commercial vendor, it's pretty good, but w- they're not doing the things that like high-end users need. They're really not. They're doing stuff that's great, great for the commercials, great to sell iOS devices, but what do you need, right? You're saying you don't like what they're doing, but what would you have them do? Well, HFS Plus, go yes, away. Yeah, yeah, re- okay, that's one thing. Re- I, would re- I would replace the file system, that, that's for sure. I would start working on new ways to do window management because it's still not working. I cannot, it is such a joke to maximize a window on a Macintosh. I can, it, is, it is inconceivable what a joke it still is. And like, if you want to actually maximize the window, you hold down the option button. But if you want it to go full screen, you click the maximize button. And then like sometimes, depending on how old the app is, it doesn't even maximize. It'll actually shrink. And then you click it again, and it goes into some arbitrary size that you never ever had the window in ever in the entire lifetime of the machine, but it'll just pick that size. It's, and then still, even on the most powerful Macintosh hardware from time to time, when you're dragging a window to resize it it'll stutter like it'll stutter after like 10 years of development in the operating system so that's just that's just like surface level stuff then you've got like the fact that there isn't really a decent package management system that seems obvious by this point apple has access to online stuff why not make a command line version of the app store that could have other kinds of utilities for developers that could be a true legitimate package management system sanctioned by the vendor what's so wrong with that they like to control the experience why can't they do that why don't they replace the file system it literally destroys data well wait wait so so this answer to that point, right? The reason I can't do that is because that's already proven to be a non-revenue generating thing to do, right? Look at the Ubuntu App Store. Again, see, this is what I go back to. The, 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 the priority of Mac OS X is not in line with the priority of people that need to use it as a tool to create content and create software. Right, but I mean, the reality is yes, okay. So you get a, you get a new Mac out of the box, and let's assume you're not, um, you know, 
spinning it up off of a, an image or anything like that, or, or rather a time machine uh, backup. Yeah, you have to do the Xcode select thing, install the command line tools like GCC or LLVM that really should come with the machine, but don't. Yeah, that's uh, okay. All right, and then if you write, yeah, that's, that's not terrible, right? Yeah. And if you really want to be relatively functional for anything server-side, you're probably going to install Homebrew. Great. Okay, so once you've gotten Homebrew installed, now let's just take Rails development, for example. Your effort on OS X is more or less the same as it would be on Ubuntu. I don't necessarily disagree initially. Yeah, I think it's I, mean, I think it's over like a, I think it's over like a couple of years of using the system. That's why well, I say like people that switched often, away. But how often are people keeping their installs of even Linux machines for for dev machines? Hmm. Yeah, I guess it varies depending on person to person. But I mean, I could tell you just from my non-Mac boxes, right? My Windows bo- Windows box. Something goes wrong with DLLs or assemblies. I blow that bad boy away and restore it from a safe point because hmm. it's faster to 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 wipe and obviously wipe off of a backup and reinitialize it yeah, than you know, that's figure a good, out you know, what happened. 2014 was the year I stopped doing that. And cause that was, it still kind of is like, I will go to it. Like if things get real bad. Uh, but, um, I, I started having a few installs that were old right. and started really appreciating like, God, this is so nice. I can just sit down and use this system. It's got all my GPG information. It's got all my history for my command. So it's auto completing everything I type on the command line. Like it, like I've started now valuing the longer install. Like it's, I feel like I'd actually having an install is that's lasted a while. That's all set up is makes me more productive. So I've actually stopped nuking and paving as much as I used to. I'm not saying it's good to nuke and pave. What I'm saying is that, and this is more of a problem, I mean, not to bash the Windows guys, but I found this to be more of a problem with those machines. Yeah, yeah. Is that once something goes wrong, and maybe it's because I'm not that good of a Windows guy, just once you ask me to open the registry or something like that, it makes more sense for me to restore from a backup because I can do that in two hours rather than... Yeah. The other thing that made a little so it's this also works for nuke and pave, but the other thing that made it easier to have long term installs is things like uh, OwnCloud and Dropbox and BitTorrent Sync and also Google Chrome. That uh, I really don't I don't have any machine that has all of my data. Like there's no computer that like if I lost it today, with the exception of like my big file servers, uh, that I would lose anything. So it makes that a makes it easier to nuke and pave, but it also makes it easier to sort of move around a little bit. Uh, so I, I yeah, I think I think what where, what I'm identifying really I'm not again I'm not thinking big numbers, but I think you know if you watch Apple, I think it's a sign that maybe their head isn't in the right place, and it's I just don't see how it's going to get historically again if you've watched Apple when they launch a new product, that's where the entire company's head is at when they launched the iPhone, they had to delay the release of Mac OS X by like half a year. Because they'd pulled everybody off of Mac OS X. Yeah, see, see, where I see them at right now is, you know, they have this great advantage with the iPhone. Um, into, not market share advantage, but in terms of, like, you know, there is no Android desktop you're going to go buy, right? So they're trying to say, how can we make it less iOS and more the Apple ecosystem? How can we get you to be locked in? And, I mean, if you look at Yosemite, all the conversion stuff, right? That's what it is, is, you know, this, this phone is good. And, you know, it's even more convenient if you have our desktop, too. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, but it is not required. And they can't ever make it required because there's always going to be other platforms out there. So they can never go all the way with that. Right, but the converse is also true, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a high correlation between people who carry iPhones and have Macs. Probably, yeah. Um, 
but but I'm sure there are also people who have Macs and not iPhones. Sure, sure. So to so to make it, you know, I know one thing I've always found about Apple is, especially in the last couple of years, it is far easier just to stay in their ecosystem, um, and interoperability is not necessarily a huge priority for them. So you know, I'll give you an example, right? I I've gotten hooked on uh, iMessage. Not because I like, you know, not for any of the security stuff that supposedly pisses off the FBI director. Because I can respond to an iMessage and now an SMS message on my Mac or right. I'm at work. And it, it's pretty good at delivering photos, videos, and even arbitrary right. files. Like, I've transferred NZBs over iMessage. I mean, it, have you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I don't know you could do that. Yeah, yeah pretty much I mean, anything. Yeah, it's great. Because, you know, like we have machines. It's also just a really quick way to send like to one file like, hey, I need this uh, logo for Coda Radio. I'm working on the still right now. And I just drop it over Bonjour iMessage and it just transfers it over the network in like a second. It's great. Uh, but the problem with iMessage is when it breaks, you have zero visibility over it. And eventually does break. It just sometimes takes a little while. Uh, and, you know, by the way, a great uh, iMessage replacement, Telegram. Telegram is really good. We've been the uh, whole team's been using it here, and uh, it does it does voice memos, it does pictures, it does video. I don't know if it does files. Uh, it does group chat. Telegram is really great. So and it works on the Mac, Linux, and Windows, iOS, and Android. And it is uh, also it's supposedly using end-to-end encryption, but I don't know. Really? If you know. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you do burn out an iMessage, I agree. iMessage is really nice, especially once you become a parent, because you can send you know big. You could use Hangouts too, but I don't know. Do you really want to send pictures of your naked kids through Hangouts? I don't. <laughs> the FBI at your door. I don't really want to do that. You know, exactly. Uh, or like, uh, you know, like I might say jokingly to my wife, 100% a joke. Like, I'm going to go beat the kids. And literally what it means is like, I'm going to go put them down to bed and say goodnight to them and snuggle with them. Right? right. But if you read that message out of context, it would look like I'm going to go you know, beat the I, kids. I actually did use Hangout for SMS for a while when I was rocking the, uh, the HTC One. Yeah. Yep. 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 I trust when I was. I also, uh, now that Google Voice goes through Hangouts, when I get Google Voice messages, I... Well, let me, let me tell you what kept happening that was super obnoxious. I would get, like, the phone died, and I was doing uh, Hangout SMS via the web, via, you know, the, the little web app, or even, even just Hangout messages, forget about SMS, right, just straight up messages. I would get, like, 20 notifications as soon as the phone booted. And the yes. same thing when I got home and, you know, took my Nexus 7 out of stasis, right, out of sleep mode. I mean, there, there, there was a level of, I'm not saying iOS and iMessage is perfect, but there's a level of jankiness with last time I used it about four months ago, the Hangout system that just isn't there on iMessage, right? I also don't like how closely it's integrated with uh, G+, um, because what ends up happening to me, and I don't mean to be a dick about this, guys, and if you've done it, it's not a big deal, but uh, I log on to G+, and randomly my, my Hangout's is signed in because I might have gone to Hangout somewhere else in another Google spot so that way I could check a text message, and now I'm getting, you know, five, six instant messages from folks that all have questions for me about anything from you know what was this app pick you talked about on last to uh, do you have this game on steam and it's cool i don't i like talking to people but i like to do it when i'm ready to do it and when i just load a web page and all of a sudden i'm getting five or six to chat it's just too closely linked to their other properties where things like telegram and iMessage are you know an island onto their own where i'm not intermingling two things right i can have private conversations so i agree uh all right Wow. Well, we got a lot to cover, Mr. Dominic. Uh, is there anything else on this topic? Any? Uh, I mean, again, I don't. I don't want to. I'm not. I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and say the walls are falling uh, at Cupertino. What I'm trying to say is, uh, I think for high end well, users, you know, there's probably I, I bad would, signs. I would venture one other thing too, Chris. I, I think you, you and uh, and me, but I would even say more so you. No offense. 
are kind of clinging to an old model of computing mm. where you bought a machine and you bought it like a car, right? You knew there was going to be maintenance. You know, you expected in 100,000 miles, I'll replace some of these, you know, I'll replace the cables, not the you know, computers and cars aren't the same, but you're, you know, replace the, uh, the hell you call it, the rotors, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, get the alternator checked on, get your battery serviced, yeah. change your oil. And I think that's not the case anymore. I think people are buying computers like you might buy a bike, right? Yeah. You buy a bike, and if it wears out, you just go buy another bike. I'll tell you, though, I don't think it's me being an old codger that sets that expectation. I think it's the fact that if I want even a decent machine from Apple with a semi-current GPU that could at least play a current game, maybe not next year's game, I have to spend $2,500. And that price point, that's what sets that, That's what sets the expectation. Also, uh, traditionally, the Macs have been machines that you would have for many years. They could run uh, many, many years. Um, and so the thing, when you start seeing things like soldered on RAM, that's one thing. That's a whole other discussion. What I care more about is that's, that is a price value decision I can make at the time of purchase, and that'll change depending on what their offerings are at the time. But what I like to know is that I'm also buying, I guess I should back up. At the end of the day, I want a Unix operating system. I want the stability of that Unix operating system on that hardware. The two have to be matched. You can't pay the price for the hardware and not also get the same quality in the software. That's the Apple deal. They're not delivering on the Apple deal anymore. It's not egregious. But it's enough to be noticed by enough people. Yeah, I, I, I think you're just not getting the long-term value. I mean, I have uh, this MacBook Pro here. That's my my you know work machine. Um, you know, I bought it with 256 gigs of RAM, right? Um, not RAM. I'm sorry, uh, storage. Yeah, the SSD. I regret the crap out of that. Yeah, the SSD. It's too, it's too tight. Too tight, and you can upgrade it, but it's not a super easy procedure, and it's actually quite expensive. Yeah. Uh, because you, yeah, you could say, "Oh, go to Newegg and buy an SSD." Oh, is that the um, one you can actually remove, though? You can. Oh, well, but, that's but, that's a step up from the newer uh, models. But there's a big, big catch. So many SSDs are not OS 10 compatible. Right. So you don't get trim firmware. for one. You don't get trim, and I'm just not willing to make that compromise. Yeah. So now I'm looking at OS 10 compatible, uh, com- yeah. Yeah. compatible yep. SSDs. Yeah. And it, this is not a you know what I had a good week. Let me get an upgrade here. Right. This is like a, a serious to the point of does it make sense to even do it or just hold on for, you know, another nine months and get a new machine. And to be honest, don't you really need like a terabyte? Right. And that's the thing. To to get any significant storage, I mean I think I'd be okay with five hundred, but you know, it would be really nice if I could easily have a Windows VM on here too. Yeah. Yeah. Um and, and you know, and maybe some yeah. music and some video and some story. I mean, well, just, you know, I mean, just a few things, like I, not a lot, but. I have to worry about installing, like, very, very small Steam games. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been in that spot. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, thankfully, I'm I'm very fortunate now. I don't get to, <laughs> So I finally got my situation. My Bonobo now has three hard drives in it, thanks to uh, Noah. He got me a CD-ROM caddy so I can put an SSD in my CD-ROM. So I've got an SSD for my main installation, an SSD for my user directory, and an SSD for my Steam games. And they're all small. They're all small, cheap ones. Like, the, the biggest is 256 and the other two are 128s. Uh, and that works for me. But now, of course, I don't take the Bonobo anywhere because it's hooked up to the touchscreen here in the studio. Uh, but the fact that I bought that Bonobo two years ago... Now, I'm not going to at all try to argue that it matches the MacBook and build quality. But what I will tell you is the realization I had, holy shit, I could take this two-year-old laptop, I could hook it up to three monitors at once and put three drives in there, and now I'm going to get another year out of this machine. And 
that kind of flexibility as a utility is very nice. It's, I don't know. I guess we should probably move on, but uh, we'll leave it at that. And if you have any feedback, feel free to go over to Jupiter Broadcast and click the contact link. Choose Coda Radio from the dropdown and let us know what you think. And again, if it works for you, that's great. No judgy there at all. Uh, my wife, uh, you know, she doesn't push it in the way I do. She pushes it more in photo management uh, and, of course, you know, web and, and more office-type functions like with Excel and stuff like that. She never runs into these kinds of issues, right? I mean, she sometimes complains about, like, if a Java application starts up in the background and for some reason the Java, whenever Java apps start up on her machine, like, it just owns the entire operating system and everything slows down. So other than that, she doesn't really complain. And it works fine for her. And I think the vast majority of people don't have an issue with it. So no judges if you don't have a problem with it. But I'll leave, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Before we get into uh, my story, let's talk about DigitalOcean. Sponsor of the Coda Radio program, DigitalOcean.com. And guess what? We have a brand new promo code that's going to last you for all of 2015. How cool is this? So use it wisely, my friends. Coder Digital, when you check out. Coder Digital, or just apply it to your account. It's not really a checkout. You just get to apply it to your account. Make, make sure you use it wisely. That's going to give you a $10 credit so you can try out DigitalOcean. Now, what is DigitalOcean, and why would you want to try it out? Well, I've got three droplets up there right now. I actually heard about them from Mike because he uses it for back-end infrastructure for a ton of the stuff that they build. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider, and they're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. You're going to get root access to it, great connection speeds, and so your box, you own it up there, and you can get started in less than a minute. Pricing plans start only $5 per month. $5, you guys. $5. That's one coffee trip a week, and you get it for the whole month. Plus, when you use our promo code, Code or Digital, you get the $10 credit. Well, that's two months. Absolutely free. Not only that, you're going to get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of freaking transfer in DigitalOcean. Woo! They got some great data center. Data centers are beautiful. Beautiful. During the the feedback segment, I was actually spinning up a DO instance. You know they have uh, let's let's do a little extended ad here. Do it for me. Do it for me. Very excited. Lay it down, Mr. Dominic. Lay it down. They updated their GitLab instance, which is always nice. But better than that, right? They actually have now a built-in Dooku instance with Docker. What that means is you could have your own little Heroku in a box. Yes. Yeah. For like a third of the money. Yeah, man. Uh, and oh, I like that. Uh, all you WordPress fans will be pleased that they have WordPress 4.14.04, not to be confused. Oh, no, I'm sorry, on 14.04. Yeah, which is a great and LTS release of Ubuntu, you know, perfect for honest, WordPress. WordPress is so old, they ought to be up to 14.04. Anyway, yeah, no so. kidding. Uh, you know, we're using a brand new DigitalOcean droplet to run a bunch of Ruby that we uh, are going to do for uh, some uh, bot stuff in yeah. the chat room. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. I'm sorry, a bunch of what? Uh, well, I'll talk to you about Remember, I got something I need to talk to you about? Remember, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, really? And you know, the first right. place we went, seriously, I mean, it's like, okay, well, we need to spin these up, and we want to be able to experiment. We want to be able to take snapshots, so that way if we make mistakes, it, it wasn't, there was no other consideration. It was DigitalOcean. It's really that UI, that dashboard is intuitive. Plus, later on, like, we're going to take advantage of the API. We'll write stuff that tugs on that API that orchestrates the things that we need. And you could plug it into an existing management infrastructure like Puppet right now. Go over to DigitalOcean, use the promo code, it's a brand new promo code, Coder Digital, Coder Digital, all what word? lowercase when you check out get the ten dollar credit it's not really a checkout but that's just years of me saying that just apply it to your account you don't even have to put a credit yeah. card in there it's, it's like super badass uh and uh, you're really gonna enjoy it well i hear from another thing i'm hearing a lot of people is like oh minecraft servers like you can get a digital ocean droplet yep. and use it for like your own own cloud BitTorrent, sync and minecraft and still have room to spare it's not it's like really like great and great. I, you, I actually just had an experience with their support we uh we recently changed banks and i totally forgot like that i had the 
company's freaking debit card on a bunch of stuff. I forgot DO for like three months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just they just sent me a polite email. Yeah, I was like, like, hey, hey man, just you want to pay your bill? Yeah. After three months, the bill was less than $100 running everything. And I was like, that's beautiful. That's no problem. Okay. So really, really affordable, really easy to use. And uh, I got another one for you. I got another one we just did recently that's super cool. We set – oh, I didn't do it, but somebody in the community did it, and it's really neat. Uh, They set up a a Jitsi meat server on a DigitalOcean droplet, and it is indistinguishable in functionality than Google Hangouts, except for it's way easier. You just take the URL – and then whatever your default microphone and camera are set to, you just join the session right in the Chrome browser. Nothing has to be installed because it's using WebRTC, no plugins required. And you get the individual little film strip at the bottom where it lights up and, and pulses really elegantly when somebody's talking and auto-switches the cameras for you. You can do screen sharing. Uh, you, can, you can send files. It has a full like little drop-down menu bar that lets you do all this kind of stuff for free. Run it on a DigitalOcean droplet. And we just we just did it there one day. Go. They just like set it up one day during last, and we just joined it and hung out on there for a little bit. So it was yeah. There's so many uses for it. Um, okay, speaking of uses, you know Ruby. Uh, okay, so where do you want to start? Do you want to start with my issues getting started in development, or the languages I'm considering? Well, first I want to know wh- which MacBook you bought. What? What? You're you're doing Ruby, so clearly you bought a MacBook. <laughs> Actually, right now Rika's doing the Ruby. I think he's doing uh-huh. most of it on a Windows box. To be honest with you. <laughs> Rick guy's a gamer. He's all he's all up on that uh, on that Windows Seven right now. Uh, he's got he's got other things. But uh, so uh, how about I start with uh, with the barrier just real quick because I think uh, it'll be quick. And that is when I look into development, it, it, it what I feel like is I feel a little ashamed. I feel a little embarrassed because I don't care at the same level that everybody else cares. It's a developer. I'm not into it. I'm not passionate about it. I just want to know it and understand it enough so that way I can uh, appreciate some of the more of the nuances and maybe string together some tools to make my workflow a little more efficient. That's really about as ambitious as I get. So what I find is that everybody expects you to be way more ambitious. They, they want you to be all in. They think that you know, it's, it's the new coming and you've got to be really like sold on this. And everything you read and, everything you, and everybody you talk to, it's, like, it's a holy war. Like, for example, if I said, I'm going to go learn Python, like, I would get a lot of junk and crap for that. And I don't, like, I don't have any biases coming into it. So when I see that stuff, it's very off-putting. Because people are, expe- people are talking to me like it might be the most, that, that's, this is what it is. And it, this is what makes it anxious. Is people are talking to me like it's the most important decision I'll ever make in my entire life. That right there shuts me down from doing it because I just don't care that much. So I start to feel like it's not for me. So, first of all, who are these people? The internet in general. I mean, it's the been inter- years. Yeah. You what know. have I told you about the internet? I can't it help it, man. Over time, oh, it no. seeps in. It, you know, I'm on this internet so much that it just seeps in over time. And it's all often it's like blogs or comments right. on Hacker News or Reddit that I'm reading. Right? I'll, it's like I'm reading it. I'm, I'm, fr- I'm from the outside looking in, reading the conversations happening, and it's giving me anxiety about it. The internet is, is like Moss Eisley. Okay, you don't go to the internet with a question, unless it's a fake question intended to start a fight. For instance, good question for the internet. In in what way has Barack Obama ruined your life this week? Fantastic internet question. Oh my! He's a jackass. Bad internet question. What do you think of the um, uh, of the uh, American fiscal policies in relation to gold uh, gold valuation 
and oil import tariffs. Do you know I, 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 I will, I will uh, uh, hold, hold on, guys. Come on. I, the, uh, the, the, there's just uh, I, I. <laughs> but but trust the internet. They will find that they will answer that question rather than saying we don't know what the numbers are. They'll say the oil barons are evil and tariffs are causing me a ton of money, which is usually not true. Um, let me just give you one other internet question that's great. What do you think of this game? <laughs> well, you would think you'd get a, eh, it's all right, or, yeah, pretty good. You know, uh, yeah. not worth 50 bucks. Well, this is right. You're right. You know what? This is, in the, this is like in the same line of which distribution should I pick? Uh, how about Max versus PCs? Like this is, it's in that line where people just go to a holy war over it. And I, you know, when anybody's crazy, overpassionate about something, I sometimes get a little withdrawn from it. Like I start to go, oh, I don't know if I want to be associated with that. That seems a little crazy. Well, so, so the question is like, Coke or Pepsi? Done. Like that's it. AT&T or Verizon? And the answer is, of course, T-Mobile. But, <laughs> you know, so you went to the internet like a fool. But let's yeah. just keep moving. I can't help right? it. I was already there. I was just hanging out. Like I was hanging out at a bar and I started hearing all this stuff. And now I'm worried about all the stuff I heard. So... Here's what I'm thinking about. I think I can break through it, okay? Now, but now I got to have a safe space to tell you about what I'm considering, right? So everybody's got to be cool. I'm going to share what I'm what I'm thinking about sharing, what I'm thinking about going with, and I'd like to get your opinion because uh, I think I was thinking two possibilities. One I'm particularly fond of, but it seems a little impractical, and two that seem quite practical. Uh, so um, before we get to that, why don't we stop right here and we'll talk about Linux Academy? We'll start. With Linux Academy, because probably whatever I end up choosing, Linux Academy is going to have instruction on how to do it and how to get started. And I can start from an absolute beginner all the way to get to full certifications. And by the way, keep sending them in. I love getting the emails. It's great. I can incorporate them into the ad spots. Plus, it's just really awesome to hear how excited you guys are. Uh, LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you get started. And then once, you know, I, I, I get stuff like... Uh, uh, stuff like successful support cases even. I mean, it's really encouraging to hear how great Linux Academy works out for you guys. And I think it's pretty simple why. You see it here in your in your Jupyter Broadcasting Network, don't you? When you have people that actually care about the topic, that are genuinely in there, passionate about it, that's that closes that gap. That's the difference. That passion, that enthusiasm, where we live it and breathe it, and so that's why you tune into our content, as opposed to somebody else who maybe somebody made a doc for them, and they sit down, and they read it, and they really don't care about it, and they do six other shows that are kind of the same thing. You just they, 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 Their heart's not in it. Same with Linux Academy. There's other educators out there that just mass-produce content. Their heart's not in it. It's not core to their being. Linux Academy is created by Linux enthusiasts, educators, developers. They've all come together to create something amazing, something that's extremely easy and practical to use, gives you breakdowns of how long everything's going to take, step-by-step video courses, downloadable comprehensive PDF study guides that you can print out, MP3s you can listen to on the road and still get your training going, reminders when you need to take a test, learning plans that allow you to tell you how much availability. Say, hey, Linux Academy, I've got... 15 minutes on Monday, two hours on Tuesday, four hours on Wednesday. Build me a learning plan, and it does it. You slide how much availability, you move the slider, you click generate, and it does it. And it allows you to set to whatever your schedule is. So when you're busy, it's okay. You don't have to, ba- you don't have to bomb out. And they have a community there that can get you back up and going, point you in the right direction. If you're looking at things like Nginx, Docker, Vagrant, 
Puppet. They've just updated courseware on all of it. Brand new courseware on Nginx just hit up there. See, when you go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders, you get access to everything. Everything they're adding. And they're always adding new stuff. You get the access to the virtual machines that spin up right with your courseware. You get the public IP addresses. You can SSH right into it and start working. You get to actually implement the technology the courseware is telling you about. Plus, there's seven different Linux distributions you can choose from. That courseware adjusts to that. And that VM adjusts to that, right? So you can have courseware that's Ubuntu and a VM that's Ubuntu or courseware that's CentOS and a VM that's CentOS. It's a really neat system. And they've got all kinds of topics, Python, Ruby, PHP, Android development, OpenStack, everything Linux, everything Amazon Web Services, the whole DevOps category and more. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. Okay, so here's my, here's my three. I'm going to tell you my, 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 the one I'm most inclined for is at the end. Like, this is the one that, like, something in me is telling me go this direction. I feel like I have a little passion for it. Here is, in reverse order, the number one I'm thinking, in reverse order, is Ruby. Lots of practical uses for Ruby. I could use it in other places, and it works across most of the platforms I use on a daily basis. Plus, we're using Ruby for other things in the back end on Jupyter Broadcasting. So that could be valuable. So Ruby's number one. Number two, something about Go is appealing to me. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a good place to start, but something about Go, I've been watching it for a while. I started a bit skeptical, like, oh, look at Google, of course. They're getting all big. So now they, and then, you know what, though? Like, Go's technical merits over time have, like, sort of won me over. And, it, like, I started as a Go skeptic, and now I'm a bit of a Go admirer. So I'm pretty warm on Go, but I'm not hot. All right. And then the third one that I can't totally explain other than I just love everything about it. I love where they're going and I love some of the long-term potential. And that's Rust. Why? Well, I first of all, I you know, I'm right. a hippie. So, okay, so how did you come before 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 you start? How did you come into these three languages? This has been brewing in the back of my mind for quite a while. Why uh, the, why not not that I'm advocating a particular language, but mm-hmm. why not you know, like I don't do Node, but why isn't Node on the list, right? Why isn't Python on the list? Considered that too. I, you know, I, I, I wanted something that I felt drawn to, uh, and I wanted something that was going to be mostly practical for uh, sort of real basic stringing tools together, probably not even bothering with GUI or web apps for it or anything like that. Uh, I don't really need a web front end. I really just need something I can run on a command line. Is what I was thinking. Uh, and I thought, so what, what appealed to me about Rust is its long-term potential, obviously. I feel like it's a little more at home on the Linux platform as well. So I feel like that sort of draw, draws it. I think Rust is going to have a lot of success on the Linux platform. The thing, the thing about Go that I find attractive is, not going to lie, uh, the practical side of me kind of likes the fact that there's a lot of money behind it. Uh, if I'm going to switch and learn something, okay. I, you know, I like the right. fact that there's a big company behind Go that has some stuff riding on it. That you know, it, the success of Go is semi-linked to the success of Google, and it's in Google's best interest to make Go successful. So I like that about Go. And then Ruby obviously has a very active community. There's, uh, you know, Ruby kind of there's lots of advantages there, but I don't have a particular passion for it. Python also was a consideration. But I felt like, uh, I don't know, some reason it just wasn't, wasn't speaking to me. Maybe I'm wrong. So what do you think? Now, how, what do you have think? you looked at you know, what languages have libraries and that languages that would make doing what you want to do easier slash faster? Mm, you know, I kind of been, I've been noodling around what I would do. And here's what you tell me. Here's what I'm thinking about kind of uh, putting together 
is uh, things that will process some show notes, sort of uh, like streamline my preparation process, and maybe uh, uh, programs that will sort of organize some of the files I have for shows and kind of go through and standardize and normalize directories and names and uh, uh, structure them appropriately, and then maybe generate like an output list, uh, things like that. You know, just real basic stuff that doesn't even need to do it. It, it sounds like performance isn't really a not super important. No, super huge uh-uh. consideration. No, because it's going to be more like I'm working on a show and something that maybe I used to do in five or six steps. I just want to run through a program and maybe it'll ask me a few questions and I'll input those the answers and then boom, it it does the work for me. Hmm. Maybe a web app would be the way to go. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would probably say can. You, I mean, I'd, of course, write it in a Unity app. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> what about an Oculus app? That'd be great. You can you can experience your documentation. To be without- honest, I, part of the reason why I've never fully gone into this is that anxiety I talked about at the opening there. But also, like, I get kind of far into it, and I'm like, well, I already know Bash, and I can pretty much just do this with Bash and existing Unix tools. I don't really need to. But then part of me is like, no, go a little further. Go deeper. Go have fun with it. You know, go go get passionate about something. And uh, that's where I've come to this. You don't seem very enthusiastic about either of my, cho- either of any of my choices. Well, it's, so it's a little unfair for me, right? I, I can't bash the Rust people because I never tried Rust. Um, I, I can totally see how I would do what you want to do in Ruby. Um, I haven't really done it. I play Vigo, but I haven't, like, shipped anything in Go, so I'm not sure that I, you know... You, you you pick the languages that I'm I'm very not familiar with. Yeah, well, and you know, uh, like C sharp never really appealed to me. And uh, I would I would do this to be honest. What you're describing, I, I would go with Ruby over C sharp for sure. Okay. Um, I would go with the scripting language route because you don't need yeah. too much performance. Yeah, right. You're right. not you're not really. And Ruby's got that. a huge catalog of stuff to make my job easier. That, right? That's kind of why <laughs> I would lean towards Ruby. But again, it's a little unfair because I would have no choice. Right. If those were my three options, I. You know, let's say you were a, a, a customer, yeah. which, by the way, Chris, what the hell? Um, <laughs> you know, huh. this is why we charge double if you reference Chris when you call. Yeah. <laughs> Get the Coda Radio I, Premium. Right. I would have to pitch you Ruby because I, I, I wouldn't be confident in shipping something in Go or in, uh, in Rust. But I don't know. It's. The job you've described is doable in a lot of languages. It's more what do you want to learn and do you have someone who can help you? Like is um is anyone, you know, a Rekai or I know. He Alan pokes at Ruby, yeah, he pokes at Ruby. You know, I mean uh, right. that's that's probably another advantage of Ruby is we could write some common scripts we could probably both work on. Uh, right. I mean and the other advantage of Ruby is every like not everybody, but a ton of people are using it, right? There are there are stack overflow posts galore if you have a question. Am I gonna Where does that I? make me a hipster though? Not anymore, right? Because okay, everybody's okay. using it. Good, yeah. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. R- R- Ruby is not cool anymore. Rust might actually make me the hipster. Go and Rust make you the hipster. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Okay, good. Well, uh, God, glad we got that clear because that's obviously a priority of mine because I really care about that. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So where do I – so I have uh, – okay, so I've, I've – I've, every time I've gone into Ruby, I've gone, well, maybe I should go Python. Every time I've done it. So I think, you know what? I'll consider Ruby. Maybe I'll pick up a book on it or something and start poking with it. Uh, one of the things I like to do is just download – uh, existing stuff and just kind of start that way, and then I usually sort of go from there. So that's kind of exciting, uh, and I I don't know how how quickly I'll jump into it because I've always been eyeing it, but I do have se- uh, several little things that might make my life easier. And there's probably a ton of Markdown stuff for Ruby. Right, and if you wanted to do this as like a web app, you could you could I mean you don't even have to, but if you want it to be really cool, 
you could stand up a little Sinatra uh, app there and go that way because anything named after Frank Sinatra. It's true. It's got to be good, right? That's got to be, be better, right? Yeah. yeah. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to cover today? No, I think we're good. All right. So uh, let's uh, – we'll do more – you know what? We'll do more emails. We should do a mumble episode in a couple of weeks too. Uh, but uh, we'll do more emails next week since we only did one this week. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and uh, share your wisdom about this topic. And if you've also noticed sort of that barrier about starting development – and again, I want to tell you, I'm not like super serious about it, right? I just want to be able to have – it's like something I dabble with. I want to have like a hobby dabble kind of thing. With, with So I'm not like crazy into it, but I want to learn and dabble. And if you've, if you've experienced sort of that barrier that I have, I'd like to hear how you kind of push through it and resources that you found super useful, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Or even better, link those resources up in that subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. That way the community gets advantage of them even if we don't get a chance to read them or – you know, maybe somebody else finds it useful if we don't. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send folks throughout the week? No, just to, uh, you know, jupiterbroadcasting.com and follow me on Twitter at Dumanuko. Boom. Very nice, sir. Don't forget you can join us live for the Coda Radio program, jblive.tv. Mondays, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that in your local time zone. Go over there and join us. We'd love to have you in our chat room, and in a couple weeks we'll have you in our mumble room. It's an open mumble room. We'll just have to check your microphone. Also, you get to help title our show, so it's a good time, because then we vote to the death at the end. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. Coda Radio.